but it includes these far-reaching ends of the earth as well. It's, it's to, to be present mentally, prayerfully, spiritually, financially, for God's work locally and around the world. And there will be stories like this that I hope to share throughout the upcoming weeks as we draw closer and closer and closer to our time with our international worker uh, at the end of October um, to kind of get us prepared for what God is doing around the world and locally. Uh, and uh, two weeks, uh, the first Sunday in September, we're going to have Cole Fisher come back. Uh, he's back from, from serving. He came and, and raised support here. He, he shared his testimony and, and, and sought support financially and, and spiritually from all of us uh, and you know, went, and now he's back. And he's going to share an update with the work that uh, God has done uh, where he served and uh, and we're looking forward to that. So in the next few weeks, uh, upcoming weeks, leading up to our time with our international worker, we're going to be having some of these God stories uh, that God is doing both here and around the world. Um, and, hope, and hope to encourage you to see that it doesn't take anyone special. It just takes someone willing to serve in his kingdom. With that, let us begin our time together. You know, sometimes when we ask questions, we don't always get the answers we expect to. As a parent, it's inevitable that you will encounter conversations that turn into negotiations. The conversation begins kind of like, Dad, can we watch TV? Simple request. Sure, you can watch a show together. That's when the conversation is open for negotiation. Now that they have the right or been given permission to watch a show together, now it's time to see how far they can take it. How much more can they get out of this? The conversation then kind of goes like this. Hey, Dad, can we watch a movie instead? No, but you can watch two shows. Dad, that's not fair. There's, there's three of us, and, and we can't ever agree on a show to watch together. Besides, Mom lets us pick, each pick our own shows, and that means three shows. That's when, as a parent, you have two choices, to give in or double down. Would you rather just watch one show? Dad, come on, you're not being fair. Maybe I should pick the show. In this critical point, the child has to decide how far these negotiations will go. It turns out, no one likes it when dad picks the show. No, dad, that's fine. We can work it out. Sometimes conversations and questions turn into negotiations. Sometimes they turn into complaints and sometimes the answers we get don't turn out the way we thought they would. Last week, we began our study in the book of Habakkuk. We took time last week to describe the historical context, the setting in which Habakkuk is writing. We learned that, God, uh, that Habakkuk is a prophet that God used. And, and we learned that Habakkuk asked God some really hard questions. 
And, and to paraphrase those questions, Habakkuk was basically having this question with God, where are you? And why aren't you doing anything about all this evil? This morning, today, we are going to discover how the Lord answered Habakkuk. I should note, I, I forgot to, to mention this last week, that the book of Habakkuk is a little bit unusual uh, when we look at other prophetic books because the book of Habakkuk is written as a dialogue between Habakkuk and God himself. Judah, the nation that Habakkuk was, was talking to, or, you know, residing in, and, and who Habakkuk is pleading to God to intervene with, is actually never really addressed in this book. And so it's really a dialogue between Habakkuk and God, and the vision that God had given to Habakkuk. Last week, we, we covered verses 1 through 5, and if you missed last week's message, unable to be attend, just like all of our other messages, those are available on Spotify, and you can go and catch up there. But since Habakkuk is written as a dialogue, I felt that it might be necessary for us to back up, in case we're a little rusty, and start back with the complaint that Habakkuk brings to the Lord as we then go to listen and learn how the Lord responds. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open to Habakkuk 1, where we will begin in verse 1 and read together. Let us pray as we, we seek the Lord this way. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just uh, come before you this morning with a lot on our minds, Lord, a lot on our hearts. The weeks, trouble and toils, Lord, weigh on us, distract us. School starting this week, Lord, and it could be very easy for students to just kind of be distracted. Lord, I pray that whatever the case may be, where, wherever people are this morning, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, Lord, and physically for that matter, Lord, I, I pray that they would be able to lay those distractions aside and be able to come and worship you through your word. I pray that by your spirit, you would move in our hearts, Lord, that you would transform us from the inside out. Lord, if there's anything within me that, that would inhibit or prohibit your word from being proclaimed properly, Lord, I, I pray that you would uh, remove that. Lord, I pray that you would speak. Give us ears to hear. It's in your name I pray. Amen. I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version. You can follow along in your Bibles, starting in Habakkuk 1.1. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear, or cry to you violence and you will not save why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. The Lord answers, Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, 
I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men, whose own might is their God. Habakkuk's complaint, summarized, to recap from last week, is that Habakkuk saw the rise and fall of Judah. He experienced the revival with King Josiah, and now Josiah is dead and, and, and gone from the scene, and the nation of Judah is back to their old wicked ways, worshiping idols and, and uh, sacrificing babies and all of that kind. They're back to their wicked ways. And Judah was quickly, rapidly falling away from God and becoming more and more idolatrous. The rich were paying their way out of trouble with the law, and Habakkuk saw it all, which leads to his complaint. God, where are you? Why are you letting all this happen, and why will you not act? And that's when the Lord responds. He starts out by saying, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. Last week we, we unpacked that this look means to consider. He's saying consider among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. Nations specifically here means Gentile nations or heathen nations. So, so the Lord is telling Habakkuk to look beyond God's people at the nations perceive. Look at what's going on around him. Don't look to the Jewish nations. Look beyond to the Gentiles. And he says, wonder and be astounded. What's interesting here is that this, this, at least in my translation, but in the original language, wonder and astounded are actually the same root word repeated twice. So we ought to take note of that. It means literally to be dumbfounded, amazed, and astonished. So the Lord responds to to Habakkuk's complaint that God isn't doing anything. And he says, lift up your eyes and look. Consider the nations that surround you and be dumbfounded and amazed. And he continues and he says, For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. And this lets us know that God is doing. He says, for I am doing a work. Not that I'm going to, not that I'm planning to, but I am doing a work in these days, in your days. So God is doing, it's current. It, he's, he's, it's already in motion. 
this work that is coming, that, that, the, that he's going to give Habakkuk to see, is already in motion. There's no stopping it. It's not a future reality, but a present reality that God has already begun. And this idea of in your days literally means that Habakkuk is going to see it happen. In your days. So Habakkuk's complaint is, Lord, I'm seeing all this evil, even among your own people. Why, where are you and why aren't you doing anything? And the Lord says, lift up your eyes. I'm already doing things. I'm already working. And you're going to see it happen. Which brings me to the first point. Our God is always working. He is personal. He isn't off in heaven relaxing, feet up, and waiting for the day of judgment. No, he's engaged with his creation. He's active in your life. He is doing things. That brings the question, what is God doing? And why is Habakkuk not going to believe, but rather be dumbfounded by it? In verse 6, he says, For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings that not their own. And I think in this moment, Habakkuk's probably like, wait a minute. That started, your response started out really good. But wait, the Chaldeans? Like, it's one of those moments where the answer isn't anticipated, right? It's one, of those, it's one of those moments that catch you off guard. And to give you an idea of who these Chaldeans are, some of your translations may have Babylonians in them because they're one and the same. The Chaldeans and Babylonians are the same people group. And to give a little bit of history here as to, to the context the Chaldeans or Babylonians, whichever you would prefer, they were a nation that once was captured by Assyria, who is the power at this time that Habakkuk is writing. But Assyria is beginning to lose power, and the Chaldeans or the Babylonians begin to gain their independence from Assyria. And we actually find that they gained their independence in 626 B.C., it was Assyria who conquered the northern kingdom of Israel. Remember last week we talked about how the, the, after Solomon, the, nations, uh, the nation of Israel splits into two, where there's a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, right? Israel and Judah. Israel, the ten tribes of Israel, were conquered by Assyria. Judah is still... Th- you know, hanging on by a thread while Habakkuk is writing here. And now Habakkuk is learning that, uh-oh, the Chaldeans are coming. He's seen Israel whisked off, or at least knows that Assyria has conquered the northern ten tribes. An interesting thing to know is that there's a difference in Assyrian conquest and Babylonian conquest. 
When the Assyrians would conquer a nation, they demanded assimilation or death, which meant the Jewish people who were conquered by Assyria had to lose all of their culture, all of their religion, to assimilate into Assyria. It was complete subjugation. And if they didn't, it resulted in death. It was either you join us completely in what we believe, or else you're out of here. In fact, to this day, the nation of Israel, the the ten tribes, are considered the ten lost tribes, historically speaking. Because when Assyria conquered, they were wiped out. In 2 Kings 17, verse 24, we see the beginning of the Chaldeans being brought into this region. We see that the king of Assyria exiles the Israelites uh, of the northern kingdom and resettles Israel with people from Babylon. There's your Chaldeans. Kutha, Ava, Hamath, and Sepharvaim. It's these Babylonians, this Babylonian culture that that gets brought in, that is transplanted, that when Assyria begins to lose power, they start mustering their, their forces. They're the same ones that gain independence from Assyria as Assyria begins to lose power. And so Habakkuk would have, at this point, he would have understood who these Chaldeans were. Now I explained that there's a slightly difference in Assyrian conquest and Babylonian conquest. The difference in Babylonian conquest from Assyria, where Assyria would come in and conquer a nation and wipe them out if they weren't willing to you know, come into the fold. Babylon, or the Chaldeans, when they conquered... They basically said, hey, you're good, but we're we're in charge. And so Judah, when they get conquered, are able to keep their culture, keep their religion, as long as they add in the, the culture of the Babylonians. In verses 6 to 11... God describes this nation of Chaldeans or Babylonians. He says, For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation. Right? He describes them as a bitter and hasty conquerors. Right? He's, I, I'm raising them up. They march through the breadth of the earth, seizing dwellings not their own. In verse 7, he calls them dreadful and fearsome. In, verses, in verse 9, he, he reveals that they're intent on violence and that they, cap, they gather captives like sand. Verse 10, he calls them prideful and fearless. He says that kings they scoff and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress for they pile up earth and take it. Prideful and fearless. But then in verse 11, he calls them guilty men whose God is their own might. 
says, Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. So Habakkuk, you know, he, he brings this request or this complaint to the Lord and asks this really hard question to the Lord amongst all the violence that he was seeing. And the Lord says, you ain't seen nothing yet, essentially. He goes, lift up your eyes to the nations around you and see this work that I'm already doing. I'm preparing, I'm raising up the Chaldeans. And in case you didn't know who they are, they're intent on violence. They're, hit, they're bitter. They're hasty. They're conquerors. They're to be dreaded and feared. And it's in moments like this where we have to pause and go, okay, so why does God describe the Chaldeans in such detail here in the book? And, it, and the thing that stood out to me is that God's description of the Chaldeans reveals his intimate knowledge of that nation. Think about it. We have written word and written context of God's own words to Habakkuk describing a nation that's not Jews. They're not his chosen people. They're a Gentile nation, a heathen nation. And yet God knows them intimately. He knows them well. In verse 6, we see that God is raising them up to punish Judah's wickedness. He says, I see the wickedness. I see how far my people have left me, and I'm bringing punishment from an even more evil nation. Which means that God isn't simply allowing Judah to be conquered. He's orchestrating it all. He's behind it all. And what's worse to Habakkuk, it's with an evil nation that he knows. And I think that this is important to understand that this fact reveals God's attributes. Two of them specifically that come to mind. His omniscience. And his sovereignty. God is all-knowing. Om, omniscience, all, omni means all, and shins is like conscience, all-knowing. God knows Babylon. He knows the Chaldeans because he's their creator too. He's the creator of all nations. And so this reveals God's omniscience, his all-knowingness, and it reveals his sovereignty over all creation. Because he specifically says, I am the one raising this nation up for judgment. Which, again, goes back to this point that God is always the one that's in control. Even when we don't understand or don't comprehend or can't comprehend or even when we're dumbfounded. And this is the very revelation that the Lord gave Habakkuk. It's the very oracle or burden 
as we learned last week, that he gave Habakkuk in verse 1. If you go back to verse 1, it says, The oracle, or another word for that is burden, that Habakkuk the prophet saw. Habakkuk cries out to the Lord, I'm seeing violence all around me. The, the nation is crumbling. The nation has lost our values. We've walked away from God. Where are you, Lord? Why aren't you bringing judgment? Any of that sound like it resonates in your hearts in the world that we live in today? God doesn't say, don't worry, I know, I'm going to draw my people back. It's all going to be good. He says, no, lift your eyes and see the work that I'm already doing. I've already put this plan in motion, and I'm, bringing up, I'm raising up the Chaldeans to bring in judgment, to, bring, to turn my people back to me. I, if you're Habakkuk, when you hear this, your heart has to be grieved. This is a burden now that the Lord has revealed to you that you now have the responsibility to share with the people of Judah. And I wonder, I just wonder if the Lord isn't speaking to God's people, the church in today's culture that are asking the very same questions and we're not listening because we have a preconceived notion of what we think we should hear. I'm sorry, but I don't think our nation's going to go back to what it once was. I think judgment is coming. Scripture clearly reveals, if you read all of Scripture, Scripture is very clear. Jesus is very clear. Things are going to get worse before he comes again. The world we once knew for my older generation, that world is gone. And that should cause grief. But, he says, lift your eyes and look at the work I am doing. And that should bring us excitement because the Lord is at work. We have a culture of teenagers today who have no understanding who Jesus is. There's no previous church hurt. There's no previous understanding. Uh, there's no misconceptions. It's literally a blank slate for this generation. And we could be grieved and sit in our mourning, or we can be energized and say, this is a, the greatest opportunity the church has ever had in all of history. Maybe not all of history, but our history. The Lord is at work, even among this culture. It may not look the way we want it to look or think it should look. But when has God ever worked the way we thought he should? It takes intentionality, takes time to sit in the presence of the Lord with a surrendered heart, come what may, and be willing to say, not my will, but yours be done. And that's hard. The fact for Habakkuk is that judgment was coming. 
and the Lord was already in the process of enacting it. There was nothing Habakkuk could do to stop it. It was already on its way. Which leads me to the second point, which is basically uh, the same point as before, just with some added things. Our God is always working. Hear me, church. Our God is always working. He is personal. He is not off in heaven relaxing and waiting. He's actively engaged in your life. And he's actively engaged in the life of others. Even those who do not know him yet. Because he is sovereign over his creation. Let us pray as we close. Heavenly Father, Lord, we admit and probably confess and need to repent of the fact, Lord, that when we bring questions and complaints to you, we already have the idea in our mind of how you should respond and what it would look like for you to answer those complaints. And Lord, when we don't see that, we continue to complain. Lord, forgive us. Lord, help us to understand that you work in mysterious ways. You work in ways that our minds can't, our finite minds cannot comprehend. What it takes, surrender to your spirit who dwells inside each one of us on a daily basis, sometimes multiple times a day, to be able to even catch a glimpse of the work that you are doing. But Lord, if we have preconceived notions of what that work is, we will see and miss very easily the work you are actually doing. So Lord, I pray, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ here in this, this congregation and all the congregations in our county and around the world, Lord, that you would refresh our eyes, that you would give us your eyes, that you would allow us to see the harvest that is plentiful, but Lord, the workers are few. Help us, Lord, to surrender and say yes to the work you're doing and, and inviting us to be a part of. And as we, as we look about uh, the upcoming weeks and, and knowing that we're emphasizing this missions conference on being present, Lord, help us to be present in the work you are doing. Lord, we know that the world around us is fading. What we once knew was gone. Once we, what we once cherished and held so highly is no more. At least not the way it was. And yes, that grieves us, Lord. And, and, and yes, we repent of, of that. But, but Lord, that doesn't mean you've left us or forsaken us. You are a God who is intimately involved in everything we do. So help us, Lord, to see those things that you are currently doing. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
we're going to sing that closing song, Waymaker, again.